Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to Jerusalem News, the Israel Teachers Lounge, where we keep you up to date with what's going on in Israel and give you some insight behind the headlines. Headlines, I think is the word. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going. <laughs> Not to break the pattern, we seem to always start the same way. What you eating? At least that's what Matt tells us. I'm eating some elite chocolate, getting ready for Purim. All right. I don't follow the logic, but enjoy. We are here with producer who hasn't been here in a while, Matt Lippman. How's it going, Matt? It is going very well. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. I hear there's some construction going on where you live in Modi'in. Uh, yeah. I think my neighbors have decided while we're trying to record a podcast, doing a shiputz would be a fantastic idea. So that's what we're hearing in the background. And if she puts me in? Oh, um, a renovation. Oh, that's pretty good. I wouldn't have come up with that word. I don't know what I would, mm. I would have said home improvement. But that's but renovation is actually probably the correct translation. I think home improvement is when you're like hanging a picture or doing something fairly uh, minor. Renovation is when they've decided that now would be the time to pull out their entire bathroom and their entire kitchen and let us hear the effects of that. For peanut what? For peanut today's Hebrew word, Matt, is? Shiputz. Okay. Renovation. It's a good word to know. Shiputz Nick is the person that comes and wreaks havoc in your house for you. What's the English word for that? Renovator. To wreak havoc in your house for you. It can't be renovator. It has to be handyman or something like that. Is Shiputz Nick? No, it's not a handyman. And builder. It's a handyman, as she puts Nick usually. Contractor. They, no. Like she puts Nick as one level above a handyman. Yeah. No, like they do. They do anything. They like they could do. You know, they could do a little wall. They could do a whole house. You know. It's Israel. They make it up as they go along. With no licensing whatsoever. No. Well, as our, as our listeners know by now, I am sure it is a Skype episode. It will be released as usual on Thursday, which is Purim this year. So we're recording. A little bit earlier on Tuesday, and I'll set it to release as usual, but already now by Tuesday we have some news stories that we've dealt with in the past that we want to give brief updates. So my guess is this may be a little bit of a shorter episode, just sort of updating on previous stories. Which story do you guys want to do first? The Where we are in the BB corruption or the American embassy in Jerusalem story? I think we should go with BB. Sounds good. All he right. may not be prime minister for much longer, so we might as well get it in there while we can. Oh, I think he'll be prime minister for much longer. Uh, uh, what Especially, is after this update. Update. Especially after this update. All right, Alan, what's the update? Oh, me? I'm doing the update? <laughs> okay, so I, I, you guys are going to have to help me because I can't get all the different file numbers right. I think this is 4,000 we're talking about, right? The big update. So first yeah. of all, we on the podcast have discussed at length 1,000, 2,000, and 3,000. Now we're up to 4,000. Right. 4,000 is a scandal. And as Raul told us, those numbers are completely arbitrary. Um, but the, the, the case that is, has kind of uh, taken the frontline newspapers this week in Israel is the case with Bezek, where actually um, Netanyahu is not a prime suspect at this point. He is 
which is like some close aides and what have you, or prime suspects, in trading, <coughs> excuse me, positive, um, positive news coverage for uh, regulations and whatnot uh, that are passed in favor of Bezek. Why does that work? Because the guy who owns Bezek, Bezek if you, is known as the major, major telecommunications company in Israel that was um, really owned by the government. And when the government went through privatization, uh, you know, in the end of the end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century, so they broke up the telecommunications uh, um, company and privatized it. And then it's now owned by, what's his name? Uh, uh, I just forgot his name. Um, so the, the guy, the guy who owns it, we'll come back to it. He also owns a very, um, a very, uh, uh, influential Israeli media site on online called the Walla, Walla news site. And so they were trading favorable news coverage for, uh, favorable regulations for his Bezek company. Um, that's kind of the, that is the, uh, the, uh, the suspicion and what they are investigating. And in all of this, so a number of people were arrested last week and um, they were up for like remand, like where are they going to be let out, where are they going to continue their um, being held as the investigation is going on. And crazily, for some reason that, the, you know, it seems unbeknownst to any of us, the prosecutor in the case was texting with the judge and seeming to be colluding on what the, the 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 remand would be of letting them out or not and when, which is a gross violation of legal you know of legal process. Because you know, the there shouldn't be these to be impartial overseeing it should not be having communications directly with the prosecutor about how things could go without involving the defense. The the judge should not be having private WhatsApp conversations with the prosecutor about how to treat the defendants. There was even reports of that they, they, in some of the Israeli media, they put pictures of the WhatsApp conversations like screen captures. And some of it, the judge was saying, yes, I'm going to practice my surprised face right now. Yeah. And things like that, like absolutely insane, quite honestly. Um, she should be talking like that to the prosecutor, that she's going to pretend to be surprised by evidence that's presented to her. So, and there, and there, go ahead. And, and the judge and the prosecutor are fighting back, claiming nothing. They like they may have been a little bit like not exactly appropriate, but there was no real gross legal violation, even though they've both been suspended while in pending an investigation that's going on. It's supposed to come out today, some kind of report. Um, and what this does is it lends credence to the Netanyahu camp campaign that all of this stuff is a media and political witch hunt against him with no legitimacy, and they say, here you see, the prosecutor and the judge are colluding to destroy the Netanyahu camp, and it's really just this unfair political thing. So that the, the idea that we have that there's a balance of power, there are checks and balances keeping each other in power, and that one group will prevent another group from being corrupt, is now damaged by the idea that the, that the watchdogs are also corrupt. And I, and I would just like to emphasize the point where you're talking about the balance of powers, because if just remind everybody in Israel, the executive branch is not separate from the from the legislative. So therefore, the balance of powers is really between two, the legislative slash executive 
and the and the judiciary, right? And now well, you're well. There's not a separation of powers between the executive and the legislature. There's supposed to be a balance of powers in theory that there's an opposition party in the legislature that's checking the executive. So from an American constitution point of view, you can't have real checks and balances without separation of powers. In this parliamentary system, supposedly, there, there are checks, there just isn't separation. I know I'm being... No, but we all know. Yeah. No, because but we all know that the opposition party is basically, you know, uh, powerless in the sense of the, how the parliament works because they're, they're in opposition because they don't have enough seats. So the legislature, which can controls the control the you know the 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 the, the power in the parties in power which control the legislature. It's not a real check, other than the media. They don't have real independent ability to act. They don't have right. control. They can call for a vote of no confidence and try to destroy the coalition. But as long as the coalition stands, they don't have real power. Exactly. So that so therefore the judiciary is really, and that's why we have a very active judiciary in Israel, because the judiciary is is really the main check in this balance of power in our system. So now and and the right wing, and particularly Netanyahu, as, as Michael said, is all these years has called into question the judiciary, always always claiming it's overactive and undermining and things like that. And this actually act of this one judge in this court system brings into a lot of questions uh, about these claims over the years, right? That that's the uh, right. It's interesting this was going on in the backdrop though of the right wing justice minister Ayelet Shaked, who during all of this and previous to this has been trying to make changes to the makeup of the courts as well. Yeah. So she's trying to shift the courts to the right to help her and her causes. And now Netanyahu is casting aspersions about the legitimacy of the left wing side of the court. So what could end up happening is that actually strengthen these claims against um, this judge and the prosecutor could actually strengthen the rights claim to rebalance the court a little bit. And that will help them further in the, in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely, and, and 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 in general, I think what Michael was saying before also that it undermines people's, you know, uh, you know, um, what not belief, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Undermines people's faith, faith, faith better is belief, faith in the in the whole system, and that has a very negative can be a very negative effects in civil society. Of course, because it's not just about this case; it's what happens in in the system. So if one day I find myself on trial, how am I going to have faith that my trial is going to be impartial and going to be uh, judged and ran accordingly and according to the rule of law? Because if they're doing this to the prime minister, why wouldn't they do this to the little guy on the street like me as well? So I think that also causes problems for people's faith in the system. Yeah. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, the great American jurist, said, justice must not only be done, it must be seen to be done. And what he meant mm -hmm. was that in a democracy, yeah. the people have to have faith in the, that the system operates with a set of rules, norms, and standards that, makes it, uh, that, that sets it so far above the level of even perceived corruption that they can have faith in the, in the institutions of governance. Uh, Israel is a country which I don't think has that. I don't think... Uh, at least in my lifetime, I don't remember, and just my own anecdotal impression, I don't remember an era in Israeli sort of public thinking where people talked about their institutions that way. 
Israelis have always talked about, the, ah, they're all corrupt. Ah, they all have their hands in our pocket. Ah, they're all this, they're all that. You just have to vote for the ones who are going to get done what needs to get done. And I would argue that from a, a Zionist perspective of, of wanting to have, from what the Declaration of Independence demanded, a state that lives up to the ethics and values of the, pro, the prophets of old, of social justice, I would argue that that is a real threat to Israel's future that has to be reckoned with and not just shrugged off and said, people say, well, what are you going to do, politicians? I think that what are you going to do is exactly the wrong attitude towards these matters. Demand. Yeah. We, have, we have to demand leadership that's responsible. Yeah, and, it's, and I, mean, I agree with you. It's not the culture in Israel, really. I mean, Israel culture, especially it's part of, you know, I don't know, some people call it back to shtetl politics or, um, you know, trying okay. to... trying. To you're coming, you're coming, you know, Eastern Europeans immigrated from the Tsarist, from Tsarist Russia. They came to, you know, a backwater of the Ottoman Empire that ran on a system of bribery, which they called bakshish. You were taken over by the colonialist British who ran, let's be honest, the mandate was run for British interests, not local interests. And so it was, it was riddled through with problematic implementation. And the idea, the dream of the Jews running their own state was that we could run a state that would be a light to the nations, an exemplar of honest, good governance that stands for justice and morality. Unfortunately, the Middle Eastern cultural milieu doesn't, doesn't believe, it doesn't have in its bones down to, it doesn't have, it, we're not, it's not coming from, uh, from a culture of Madison and Hamilton and Jefferson. It's coming from a culture of the Sultan and the colonial governor and the czar. And so there isn't this, this expectation that this is something worth demanding, but it is something worth demanding. And it's something we have to demand. And I'll, re, I'll point out something that we pointed out in the past, which plays into this, is really this idea of Israel having put down a constitution as an ideal that was going to happen in the Declaration of Independence, but in fact, we still don't have a constitution. Um, which I think plays into that idea of what is really, you know, how, how's your government going to work? How's your society going to work? How it's going to function? What are the what are the agreed upon terms? What are the you know the values? Um, and that you know, has. I'm 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 second guessing myself on the value of a constitution lately. I'm questioning. So many countries operate without one. I'm wondering, and you know, I, I'm wondering if a constitution which solidifies the structure by which a government has to work, limits the flexibility of a government to handle real-life current event problems because it's stuck within uh, a framework created hundreds of years ago that really doesn't make sense in modern times. You know, mostly well, because of current I wonder events. About that. Right. I wonder about that flexibility. Though. Like, how do you take the flexibility that you need but make it rigid enough that, the, that there are still rules, that you don't have people playing fast and loose with what we would see as the rule of law. That's exactly the problem now with, with, with this judge system, right? That they're saying they've not done anything illegal, they, but we're now questioning whether there is real integrity to the system, even though they actually, they claim they haven't broken the law. It's the same with Bibi Netanyahu with this idea of him accepting the gift. Apparently, technically, there's nothing wrong with accepting thousands and thousands of shekels worth of gifts from a friend. That's great. 
Right. But that it's isn't hundreds, the, the, hundreds the of thousands, and that isn't obviously illegal, is, is a sign of this greater problem. And, and the fact that the judiciary, look, I'll, I'll go back to defending the Constitution. The fact that the judiciary doesn't have a Constitution to judge whether laws are sensible by means that they're just making it up as they go along, at least the Supreme Court. So, and, and the legislature, and the point of that is that the legislature, that's the whole thing with the legislature, the legislature can come along and make a law that makes the judiciary basically, you know, uh, I- 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 impotent in that in that situation, which is part of some of the laws that are being trying to be passed now about all these things, these cases that are going on. So that's exactly why the a constitution gives you at least a, a basis and a formation, uh, what to to argue with. Again, Israel has basic laws, but it's complicated. I mean, I, I think you're right about the flexibility, but I think you can you, you need that tension between flexibility and and con- and con- you know and constant uh, in a system. Should we move on to the uh, on this very? Should we move on to the next uh, issue? Yeah. Have we had set now, enough? Now I'm depressed. <laughs> well, this will get you excited. Woohoo! The embassy's moving. <laughs> Where yeah, so, <laughs> well, we already knew well, that the United States, that President Trump, we've already talked about that President Trump has announced that America is moving its embassy to Israel to Jerusalem. Although the State Department still has not called even West Jerusalem officially part of Israel. So I, I don't know how that works. In other words, for example, when, when, uh, when President Obama spoke at Shimon Peres' funeral, the United States would not label that location as giving that eulogy at Har Herzl, the British, the, the British, the Israeli military cemetery in Jerusalem. They did not label that as a speech that he gave in Israel. It's a speech he gave in Jerusalem, which officially is not Israel. That has not changed. And yet, the State Department has notified Congress that on May 14th, which is the secular calendar anniversary, 70th anniversary of the creation of the State of Israel, not Yom HaAtzma'ut, Independence Day, which is HER, the Jewish anniversary, on May 14th, they will be moving, they will be taking the consulate, which is in the Jerusalem neighborhood Arnona, and they will add some office space or something, and they're going to turn that into the is American yeah. embassy in Israel. Putting a sign up there, you know. Basically, they're going to make an office for the ambassador and call it the, you know, the embassy until they're able to build an embassy. But I, so I, I like to say a few things. One thing is that whereas we predicted back then that it wouldn't be massive. Upheaval like like lots of places were, were were predicting. I also predicted that it wouldn't happen for a long time. There would be an announcement and then nothing would happen. And now I well, that was the announcement. That wasn't even a prediction, Alan. Yeah, you were just saying what they said. The announcement was, we will move it. It's going to be a few years off till we build a new facility. Yeah. It's going to take time to find the location for that facility, draw the designs, and then build that facility. So that wasn't. I I, I will defend your predictive ability. You predicted it wouldn't create the enormous intifada that people were predicting or political brouhaha that people were predicting. But President Trump said it'll take a few years. Uh, Vice President Pence said it'll take a few years. And now they're saying we want it, and, and really I guess it's a symbolic move, as a 70th birthday present to Israel, we're going to call the consulate the embassy until we can build that new facility. What, what happened? I can't figure it out. I have no idea. What's the advantage of doing you're, that? You're saying there was something behind the scenes that we don't know about? 
Well, they're always I hidden. Right. But, but you I'm, never I'm know about everything. Right. I will tell you what my students so, said to me. My students said By the way, they keep talking about it's like they're going to roll out this peace plan. They're going to roll out this peace plan. They've been talking about it since before they made that announcement about moving it, but we haven't seen anything. So the greatest ever peace plan. Yeah. Excuse me. Exactly. So I, I, I don't. I mean, it, no, it, I don't know if it's a link to that, or I mean, it. it I, I have not been able to well, figure out like what the heck is going on. Why all of a sudden? Design, the head of designing the peace plan, Jared Kushner may or may not ha be restricted now from viewing uh, right. confidential information, which means you can't really run it. So the, the peace plan itself is presumably at a bit of a weird crossroads for technical reasons. So then why would you make this announcement? I, 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 I really don't. I can't figure out what's going on. I'll tell you what my students said to me. They said that is so cute and adorable that they're going to have the embassy declared in Jerusalem on Israel's uh, secular calendar birthday. That's how my, that's how, not all my students, but that's how some of my students described it. Uh, I don't think and when you, and when you, and when you, and when you explain to them that it's actually nothing to, like officially in the state of Israel, it has nothing to do with Independence Day, but it is the day before the Palestinian Nakba day. Did they, did they react to that? Well, Meaning, like, well, yes. In other words, if you if if you zoom in on as an as an uh, 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 what you're getting at, I think, and what I agree with you, and what I tried to explain was, if you zoom on it on an independent thing, if it was cut off from all other factors, then okay, that is a cute gesture. That's adorable. That's an adorable symbolic gesture. Once you connect it to other issues, which you would assume political strategists do, it becomes much weirder what 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 are you why and the location is also an odd location to put the new american embassy it's not in land that israel had jurisdiction over before 1967 it, it straddles we as we looked you can see on google maps it straddles the green line right into the into that belief which was the neutral zone and it, it's very, it, it, I, I just find the whole thing absolutely crazily bizarre and quite, um, uh, uh, I'm nervous about it, let's say it that way. Well, I, I'm nervous about the ramifications. Well, why are they moving it? Are they moving there because there's an existing consulate, so it's easy yeah. just to change well, the sign are. and add an office to the ambassador? Or are they doing uh -huh. it, changing it there because Dafka, they want to make an ideological point. Which one is there it? Are, there are two existing consulates. Uh -huh. One of them is well within West Jerusalem. It's uh, across from Independence Park on Agron Street. They're not using that building. It's an older building. But there's no space there. It's a, it's a tiny, does nothing consular by all accounts. It's no, no, small, it's not a tiny, does nothing. First of all, from what I understand from people, it's, uh, it's basically for the CIA. Um, well, that's good. And, that's <laughs> and uh, now for terrorists. It's, great. It, it's always been closed. The old, now this is what I remember from when they moved this, the, the 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 embassy and they built a new campus. The old embassy was right smack in the middle of East Jerusalem, which of course is the uh, consulate, not the embassy. The old consulate, yeah, was in the smack in the middle uh, of East Jerusalem, in the middle of Arab neighborhoods, and it was an old building, an old compound. 
And so they wanted to build a new one. They built a new one. Now, I remember discussions at the time. I haven't gone back and looked in the newspapers. Maybe I should have done that. But where they were saying, Dafka, they were building in a place they were, where it's just kind of still East Jerusalem. So they weren't moving it out of East Jerusalem because there's a big talk about about the accessibility to for Arabs, especially from the Arab Web Bank, because it also services them. The consulate services them. So that that was discussions at the time. You know, and so they built it sort of on this borderline, you know, in terms of old, you know, 1967 borders. That it's kind of a Jewish neighborhood where it sits now. Straddles, yeah, straddles the green line, but it's in a Jewish it neighborhood. Straddles the green line, but but well, it's in a Jewish neighborhood. It's in a Jewish neighborhood, but it's very close to Jabal Mukhabar and, and Arab and Arab neighborhoods. It's like right between, really. I mean, it's closer to the Jewish neighborhood. So why not build it there? In, in the but just on the other it's side. Its it's on its own hill. It's neighbor, it neighbors Jewish neighborhoods. And it wasn't all in land where Jews lived before 67. No, it's also on the other side of the of the consulate is Jabal Mukabur is the right is the basically the Arab But anyway, so those are all just symbolic things that make it just like really crazy. The the, the date that they're choosing, the place. And I I I am very I, I it makes me nervous, I'll say it. Like whereas the announcement was didn't make me so nervous, I didn't think much would happen from it. Things are going on now, things are very tense in Israel, they're like they're very low lying tension. But if you if you see day after day stuff has been happening in Dehesha, which is the be, uh, the, the refugee camp right next to Beit Lechem, Bethlehem. Um, you know, not so long ago we had some serious incidents on the Gaza border, right? So any kinds of these sparks can set things off, and, and the fact that this is going to be just before like Erev Ramadan, right? You throw into the Erev Ramadan, which is always a heightened security situation. And it just seems that someone, I don't want to say who, I don't know who, was just not thinking this through or connecting any dots of, of potential powder cakes. The only thing you can say is like usually things explode when you're not expecting them to. But Look, I, I will tell you that the fact is that it's in that neutral zone that wasn't inhabited by Jews or Jordanians in 67. Yeah. There was an article in the New York Times yesterday which said, Therefore, it's not a problematic location. Uh, I don't know that everyone's going to agree that that's the case. That's just crazy to me. I don't see why they'd say that. I don't know. It's it's on the border of areas that that Jews controlled in '49, and the border where they didn't control areas in '49. So let's just flush that. Why why is not not going to be a provocative move? I don't understand. Maybe it won't be, but I would like someone to explain to me why it won't be why all your concerns shouldn't be worried about or all of the concerns that you mentioned are real, but here's our plan for why, they will, why those things won't be problematic. And I'm not yeah. hearing any of that. No, it's a, a no, it's, a, it's a, I mean, other than a couple articles here and there, it doesn't seem like people are, maybe people not like, I don't know, the news cycles dealing with other things right now. Or, you know, even in Israel, the news cycle is really more dealing with this, this Netanyahu issue or, you know, other things. Obviously, in America, is the unfortunate incident in Florida and the ramifications of the, of the whole gun issue. I, I, I don't know. It seems to me. Look, I think, I think there, is, there, is a, uh, there is a value to strategic thinking. There is a, value, there is a value to thinking like a chess player. What are the possible moves? that our opponents can make and that our enemies can make. 
and how do we counter those moves is a very important way to think when you're trying to build a, a, a healthy future for your country. To just do things and say, well, I, I don't know, maybe it won't hit the media, maybe, maybe people won't complain or be bothered by it, maybe everything will be fine so we don't have to have a plan, is, is, is I think, bad planning. We were talking about books that influenced us in last week's episode. I'm actually rereading a book I read about 20 years ago called The March of Folly by Barbara Tuckman. Barbara Tuckman is a historian from England who is sort of like, you know, in the world of academia, they sort of poo-poo her because she's, she was a professional writer, not an academic. Oh, she didn't have a PhD in history. She was a popular history author. Yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, taking the taking what, what scholars do and presenting it to uh, bright readers. And she has this book, The March of Folly, which analyzes, I really recommend everyone read the foreword, you know, to that book. You can probably even just find the foreword online, which, which talks about how governments, there's a historical pattern of governments acting against their own interests. She analyzes several stories of governments doing so. What does it mean to, to do folly? It means to do something against your own interests. There are people in real time warning you, this could be a problem. And you are so psychologically locked for various reasons into your way of thinking that you cannot consider the, that there are better options than what you're doing, and ultimately you doom yourself. I think we're, we're, we're doing that by... I, and I, I, I need to hear... Who's the we here, sorry, just who's the we? You mean America or Israel? Israel. In other words, Israel could say to America, whoa, 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 you're not having yeah. strategic interests, and I, I am sure America would respect that. Bibi so what do you think Israel's getting out of it? America. Yeah, what do you think Israel's getting out of it? I don't know what Israel's getting out of it. I know what Bibi's getting out of it. What is he getting out of it? He's getting out of it that his base is saying, wow, look what Bibi achieves. We get everything we want. Another symbolic victory for our side. Yeah. What does that mean in the future for the Palestinians? I don't know. And, and not, only, not only the issue of will this explode, but I still want to hear from Bibi and the right. There's a lot of questions I have for the left. I think they're also describing a world that I don't totally understand. But my problem with the right currently is you keep sending out symbolic and practical messages to the Palestinian people that they will never have a state. You build in ways, you, you set out symbolic messages in ways. The American embassy is going to be in land that in theory could go to Palestinians. You're sending them this message over and over again, you will not have a state. There is a growing movement in the Palestinian community, up to 30%, depending on the poll you ask. We don't want our own state. We're not going to get our own state. You're right. We give up. We will never have our own state. We get it. Therefore, please make us Israeli citizens which will turn the Israeli-Arab population of citizens to over 40% of the Israeli population, even without demographic growth, which means that you will either have a democracy which isn't really Jewish, or you just won't give them citizenship, but you'll rule them, in which case it's Jewish, but not really a democracy. I would like to know from the right why that is not a problem, or if it is a problem, what are you going to do to solve that problem? And I'm not hearing it. And I think part of the reason is that people honestly cannot hear that problem. You say it, they nod, uh, and I don't think they get that that's a real problem. So the, 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 the main address I've heard from the West, from the West, from the right, 
is mostly well we'll make we'll make him some kind of like residence like they like we have in Jerusalem status. So then you're making it not a democracy, you're making it a apartheid state. So in other words, um, if, you, if you live in if you live in actual Israel, if Israel annexes the West Bank and Arabs live in Israel, but Arabs from the West Bank are not given citizenship because of their ethnicity, that's sort of definitionally an apartheid state. Your ethnicity means you don't have the same citizenship rights as people of the of another so, ethnicity. So then they answered that as well, but the states do it all the time. America has Puerto Rico, where Puerto Ricans are basically residents of the United States, but they're not. They are not residents of they're the United States. They're citizens, but they're not. They're citizens, they're citizens, but they don't live in an, state, in an annexed American state. They live in a territory which is run by yeah. the United States. Thank you. Exactly. They're citizens, but they don't, and therefore it's living in a territory. They can't, they basically would have this, Palestinians would have similar rights, meaning they can't vote in national elections, but otherwise they they're pretty much have all the rights. And so, and, and we don't annex the West Bank. Um, no, so I think that's with the annexing it. If you annex it, and they live in the in the state of Israel, then they have the rights to full citizenship in a democracy. So, so that's why that's why you have the Bennett plan of saying let's just annex Area C and we'll keep the others as territories, and then you can turn them into residents or what have you, and then it's a territory like that. Bennett's plan addresses my concerns, but has the uh, the flaw that it is completely impractical and unsatisfactory to create a bunch of floating city-states, say they will be self-ruled Palestinian city-states, but, pal- but two million Palestinians don't have the right to a state of any kind, just autonomous city-states that have to travel through Israel to get to the next autonomous city-state. That's a bizarre existence that Jews wouldn't stand for, no people should stand for. It's undemocratic. And also, and also then, of course, you, I assume that as part of his plan, there will be checkpoints and things like that as well where there may not even be checkpoints currently existing. So he would be adding <laughs> checkpoints and, and uh, obstacles to freedom of movement of the Palestinians in order to give them this weird sort of status that they don't even want. It would make travel and the problems of Palestinian life even much worse than they are now. Under the, the disguise of, oh, look, we're trying to accommodate them and make them, give them something better. Even if you argued it's better than the current situation, which I'm not sure I agree with, it's still not a solution to the current problem, which is you have millions of people under Israeli rule without basic civil rights. And that would still continue to deny them the basic civil rights of saying, we want rule. It Zionism is based on the idea that nations should have their own self-rule. Right. So I think that, so I just want to just bring it back around how we got back to the Palestinians and and Seders is that you feel that this symbolic move of moving the embassy, um, whereas for for the Jews in Israel, it it may be a strong sense of, yes, um, uh, uh, legitimizing our narrative and our hold on Jerusalem and that we do see as proper establishment. It's giving a very different message to the Palestinians, which is giving a very different message to the Palestinians, which is that, you know, we are not headed towards a two-state solution. And your future is essentially hopeless. In validating the Zionist narrative, which is beautiful and wonderful and makes me happy, it's, it's, it's telling the Palestinians, your future continues to be going nowhere. And so you should despair even more than you were before. 
I don't see how creating more and more and more despair for Palestinians is helpful for Israel. Which plays into the Palestinian narrative that things that Oslo has only brought made things worse. Yeah. That things have only gotten worse since Oslo. For instance, you know, triple the size of the settlement population and um, now like these kinds of things. Yeah. Exactly. So I guess uh, now you've depressed me. Well, the flip side of that is, of course, Oslo did establish the Palestinian Authority, which is now the organization which is in some way trying to push towards some sort of uh, political solution. Um, and it's okay. to leaders in the Palestinian Authority on the verge of collapse. Yes, and most Palestinians see the Palestinian Authority as, as completely corrupt and doesn't represent them. And the only reason they support it is if they is because something like fifty percent of Palestinians are on the, you know, are, have jobs within the huge bureaucracy that was created instead of infrastructure to really create a state. So I'm not that different from what's happening outside of the world, but okay. <laughs> I don't know that that's Palestinian opinion. I think that's that's just plain fact that it's absolutely corrupt and and, and a kleptocracy and only exists by bribing people by giving them, you know, jumbo jumbo jobs. So maybe we should talk about the Israel Electric Authority next uh, next podcast. Ooh, riveting. <laughs> I don't know. I will say this. All the strategic thinking in the world doesn't help if you don't have a proper command of all the variables. Nobody can foresee the future. This may change things in ways that makes everything better. I just yeah. think there's a value to strategic planning that I don't hear being engaged in. It could be this all works out and, and everything falls into every, everybody's lap in a great positive way. Could be. Could Alan, be. This is what you cannot yeah. hear. And, you know, that's why we're religious. As religious Jews, we also believe in Mashiach. So. <laughs> yeah, that is not why I'm a religious person and it does not fit into my religious thinking, that kind of... Well, let's just hope everything works out for the best, because as religious people, we also believe that we have to do the hard work of doing what's right. You know, when they asked during the Civil War, a reporter asked Abraham Lincoln uh, if God is on the side of the North in their Civil War with the South. Abraham Lincoln said, I don't speak for God. I don't know what side he's on. I just always try to be on his side. I think that's a more helpful way for religious people to frame their role in politics. So, I don't know. Let's see. Which is a, which is a good a good a good board for Purim and Mordechai's uh, uh, playing the court Jew. I would argue that the essential message of Purim is try to be on the side of God. You will God's plan will end up working whether you're Haman or Mordechai. Mordechai has the advantage of doing trying to make what God wants happen. Haman's trying to stop it and actually ends up moving it forward also. But we should try to move things forward in a positive way, whether religious or not, in trying to fulfill the Zionist dream of a Jewish democracy in our ancient homeland that realizes the ideals of Jewish values and the redemption of Israel, as, as is claimed as the goal in the, our Declaration of Independence. And to that we'll say a mighty Purim L'chaim. Amen. <laughs> Happy Purim. Let's all get drunk to deal with this. No, I'm just kidding. Pray the forum, guys. Happy Purim, you guys. Thank you so much. Happy Purim to all our listeners all around the world. Hope you've got good costumes lined up and enjoy Especially some yummy and, and Of course, don't forget, as Michael was talking about, the values 
that we try to promote in the state of Israel, Matanot Levyonim, giving to poor people as well, is a very important part of Purim as well. A hundred percent. Also, uh, rating and promoting our podcast. <laughs> Not as important it's as very important. Purim but value. Purim. Very, very important value on Purim. I think that, that both will be good. Matanot Levyonim. <laughs> we are teachers, and, so we definitely count as helping. And if the they poor. get sufficiently. And if they get sufficiently drunk, then they'll give us a really high rating. So uh, go drink. Oh, drunk ratings, guys. All right. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to the Jerusalem U podcast, The Teacher's Lounge. Teacher's Lounge is produced by Matthew Lippman. You can subscribe to our podcast pretty much anywhere where you can find any podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, etc., And we'd really appreciate if you would give us feedback and ratings in those places and recommend it to your friends. Thanks. Bye-bye.